Grace and peace to you this Lord's Day from the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. I'm Dr. Barry Mullis, and I'm the pastor of this congregation, and along with our liturgist, the Reverend Megan Lecluse, our director of music, Andrew Sin, and all of our musicians, I am delighted to welcome you to our service of worship. Before we move into the body of the service, I would just remind everyone regularly to check the church website for updates on our reopening plans. Hopefully you've received the letter from Rebecca Melly and me outlining that, but if not, you'll find it on our church website along with any updates that we have to share. With those things noted, let us worship our God with our call to worship. Join me now in our responsive call. May God send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May the Lord remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices.
God will not count our trespasses against us, longing instead for us to be reconciled. We come before God then in honesty, humility, and hope. O holy God, we confess that we have not lived up to your grace. We have been the recipients, but have not shared. We have been forgiven, but nurse grudges. We have been loved, but harbor enmity. Forgive our sin, O Lord, and make us clean, and transform our hearts by your grace, that you may lead us in the way you would have us go. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our first scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of Ezekiel, in the 17th chapter and the 22nd verse. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar. I will set it out. I will break off a tender one from the topmost of its young twigs. I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel I will plant it, in order that it may produce boughs and bear fruit and become a noble cedar. Under it every kind of bird will live, in the shade of its branches will nest winged creatures of every kind. All the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree, I make high the low tree. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will accomplish it. Here ends our first reading. Our gospel lesson today is taken from the fourth chapter of Mark's gospel. We read there in the 26th verse and continue through the 34th. Continue to listen for the word of God to us this day. Jesus also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle because the harvest has come. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable will we use for it? It is like mustard seed, which, when sown upon the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs, and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Join me now, if you will, in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Almighty, eternal God, 
Grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We are at war with the ivy next door. It grows through our fence, and it's a solid fence. I once read that the definition of a weed is anything that's planted where it's not supposed to be. And every time we walk down the sidewalk beside our house where the ivy is creeping through the solid fence, we pinch off the ivy and throw it back over where it came from in hopes that it will stop its onslaught of the yard. You'll understand that if this week's passage this week's lectionary passage with all of its botanical imagery is a little less than inspiring to me. Immediately prior to this week's gospel lection in Mark is the parable of the sower and the seeds. In it, Jesus talked about a sower who went out and scattered good seed everywhere. He scattered seed on rocky ground. He scattered it on the pathway. He scattered it on good fertile soil. And naturally, it is an object lesson on the kingdom of God, just as all of these parables in the fourth chapter of Mark are. And Mark's point seems to be that sometimes the the seed falls on good ground and takes root. And when it does, it makes a difference in the world. And sometimes the seed, that's the gospel, doesn't take root. It lands on the walkway or on the stony ground, and if it does happen to root at all, it's shallow and withers quickly. And naturally, that reflects when we try to bring the gospel to bear on bad situations, and for whatever reason, folks aren't receptive. It happens. Not everybody wants to live the way we do. But as I read that parable in light of my own yard struggles, I I think to myself, I thought to myself, why? Why would you do that? You're just going to have to yank up the stuff that's growing where it's not supposed to be later. Looking at the parable through the eyes of one trying to beat nature into submission, it just irritated me. As I was thinking about the mustard seed analogy, which follows immediately on the heels of the sower parables, it reminded me of a throwaway line I once heard about the problem of mustard seeds. They can quickly become noxious weeds. As Jesus is describing them, they are a wonderful metaphor for faith in our modern understanding. Tiny seed, huge results. To the modern eye, this seems pretty straightforward. And for those who consider evangelism to be a four-letter word, I suppose there is some comfort in the knowledge that it is God who turns hearts, not us. All the church does is throw the seed around, hoping that in time it will bloom. But like I said, we know what a weed is. It's anything that's growing where it's not supposed to be, and that's why the thistle, for example, can be both the national symbol of Scotland and a noxious weed here. Sometime back, I heard a take on this parable that I haven't been able to get out of my mind. It suggested that our modern modern understanding gets it all wrong. A farmer in Jesus' day might very well have recoiled in horror at the idea of anyone actually planting mustard seed. It could 
spread like wildfire and choke the intended crop. Indeed, actually, mustard seed could be an early way to engage in agricultural sabotage against one's competitors. Scatter a little mustard seed in the field as you walk along, and before you know it, the farmer is spending all of their time trying to keep this noxious weed from spreading and choking out the intended crops. It would be like planting kudzu on purpose. Taken the one way, our modern way, faith seeds are planted, and sometime down the road in God's time, faith blossoms. It sounds so benevolent and kind. It lines up beautifully with Ezekiel's lofty language that God's people are towering cedars set on mountaintops. And yet, taken the other way, it is positively subversive. The sower is flinging this seed that is going to completely upset the orderly rows of produce. So which is it? The kingdom of God? Is it towering cedars or noxious weeds? Both. Uh, the truth is that God is always calling for God's people to be like those towering cedars of Ezekiel. And yet cedars isn't the only word or analogy that God uses for God's people throughout the prophetic books of the Old Testament. Uh, God is actually quite realistic about what exactly can be expected from the people. So some of the other analogies that the prophets use to describe ancient Israel are just a touch less flattering. Just ahead of this passage we read from Ezekiel this morning, the very same people are described as, to put it delicately, promiscuous. The people whom God has called to be faithful to God only are having their heads turned by every other suitor. Later on, the famous vision in the 37th chapter of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is taken to a valley of dried up, bleached out bones and is told that these are the people Israel. Not exactly a nice vision. And Ezekiel is one of the more tastefully restrained prophets. Some are even less charitable in their description of the faithfulness of God's people. God is also abundantly aware that the kingdom of God is going to rely, is going to need to rely on some slightly more reliable tactics. Cedars are well and good, but now and then it takes a noxious weed to get the job done. I think maybe that's why Jesus used this particular analogy. You see, God's expectations of God's people have always been high. God has always wanted great things from us. Indeed, God's demands of God's people have always been high. If you read through the gospel according to Mark, you'll get a taste of what God wants from the people of God. You see, 
The expectations didn't really change when Jesus came around. God has always wanted God's people to be a force for good in the world. When Jesus came preaching, it was the same message that God's people are to be the change agents to bring about a good future, a, a more desirable future. The kingdom of God isn't something to be put off into a conveniently distant future, perhaps when the pandemic is over. No, the kingdom of God is now. Throughout Mark's gospel narrative, we hear that the kingdom has drawn near. The kingdom is now. The kingdom is before us. Jesus isn't actually saying anything new when he says that. Ezekiel said it. Amos said it. Isaiah said it. Go back to the covenant. You'll see that God said it. God has always had the hope and the expectation that God's people are going to be different from the world around them. And yet the hope of the gospel lies not in the fact that we are always faithful to God's vision for us. We clearly are not. Indeed, God's people have a demonstrated pattern of failure it puts me in mind of Charles Whelan's wonderful admonition to recent graduates uh, about a, a decade ago, I believe it was. He wrote simply, don't make the world worse. I know that I'm supposed to tell you to aspire to great things, but I'm going to lower the bar here. Just don't use your prodigious talents to mess things up. Too many smart people are doing that already. Indeed, as one reads to the failures of God's people, one wonders if the whole kingdom of God is a mustard seed line came from the reality that God decided to lower the bar. No, the hope of the gospel does not lie in our faithfulness to God. It lies always in God's faithfulness to us. But... God never lowers the bar. God never settles for less. What God wants for us and from us will never be anything short of our participation in the kingdom of God. What God wants from us and for us is to be a part of God's vision for redemption. Is there anything in your life that cries out for redemption? Or perhaps have you already seen God's redemption at work? When we experience God's redemption, then we can work for the redemption of the world. That is how the kingdom of God is advanced. When grace extended to God's people becomes grace extended to the world. We all need in this life to experience grace. We exist to see and be reminded 
of God's faithfulness to the world. In Christian community, we can safely confess our sins, know that we are loved and forgiven, and hear it. In the context of worship, we can sing our hymns and praise God. We can hear sermons and hopefully we will learn a thing or two. We pray together. I love gathering together for worship. It connects me to you and us to each other. It gives us time to be with friends. I cannot wait to be back together with you again soon. And once more, God delights in our worship. God delights in how we help and care for one another. But that isn't all. The kingdom of God is about more than worship and fellowship. The kingdom of God is about the redemption of the world. The prophets, like Ezekiel and the others, spoke out when God's people had lost their way. The gospel speaks out if the church or individual Christians have lost our way. And it is so easy to lose our way. It is easy to major in minors and get hung up on, for instance, what we get out of church. That's probably the greatest temptation of faith these days in a consumeristic world to concentrate on what we get out of church. It smacks of, what have you done for me lately, God? But that's not the only thing that can derail us from our journey of faith. Uh, again, I ask, what needs redemption these days for you, for the world? God's in the redemption business. The kingdom of God is about redemption. It's like a mustard seed, untamable, unpredictable, unstoppable, and it does matter. It matters because it's good news. Because if it's not good news that we're about in the church, then we've missed the point. The aesthetics of worship as important as they are, aren't good news. Political convictions, while important, aren't the good news either. God's people are like cedars on the mountaintop, visible, present, obvious. At least I hope we're obvious. That's what God calls us to do, to be Captain Obvious by spreading grace, relieving suffering, bearing in solidarity, breaking down the dividing walls of hostility. The call of God for redemption in this world never changes. It never changes. And so it must also be the call of the church. Puts me in mind of a poem a dear friend of mine sent me about 20 years ago. I think it has a word for the church in a consumeristic world. Christianity was once an eagle message sprung from the nest on the highest mountain peak on diving wings that glittered. But we chastened its bold feathers, competently straightened its cutting beak, and lo, 
It was a blackbird, a tame, loquacious raven. Christianity was once a lion gospel, always seeking a warm and living prey, a young lion of Judah, but we clipped its sharp, crooked claws, stilled its thirst for the blood of the heart, and turned it into a purring cottage cat. Christianity was once a desert sermon, mean and sharp as the terrible Africus burning in the desert sand. But we turned it into a garden idol, mignonettes, asters, and pious roses, a romantic mood in Gethsemane. Lord, take care of our pious cowardice. Give it swift eagle's wings and sharp lion's claws. Give it the scent of wild honey and simoom. And then say with a Baptist voice, This is the victory that conquers the world. This is Christianity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let us confess what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We give thanks to, in word and song to God who makes us glad and gives us joy because of all that God has done. We enact our thanksgiving through these tithes and offerings. May God put to good use what we give today.
God of all nations, we thank you for your great power and might, for you are moving all history toward your good purposes and plans. Though nations wield economic, political, and military power that seems to rule the day, we trust that you are still stronger. We thank you that our systems of oppression and injustice are ultimately doomed to failure. We pray then for oppression to come to an end and for injustice to cease, so that people everywhere may live in peace and dignity. We pray for all those who sit in the seats of power to learn your ways of mercy and kindness. In our community, teach us to work together for the common good, caring for our neighbors, and growing in understanding across every divide. Gracious God, we know that you are at work among the least, the lost, and the last, in the things that are unseen, but that your heavenly reign does not swagger, but is subtle, coming among us in uncommon and often unnoticed ways. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear how and where you are moving and changing all things. Help us to look for your kingdom in the ways of children and others who are vulnerable among us, to seek you at the margins among those overlooked or ostracized. Humble us so that we can learn from those who are meek in all the earth. Life-giving God, when our lives are dry and brittle, we trust that you can restore us to life, making us green again and fruitful. For anyone living with depression, chronic pain, or long-term illness, we ask for your healing and tender care. For those who have lost employment or the opportunity to be engaged with others in meaningful service, we pray for new opportunities to spring up. For anyone who has come to an ending, whether sought or undesired, we pray that a new beginning will open that promotes new growth and flourishing. Finally, dear God, no matter how small our faith is, we pray that you will give us good growth in our discipleship to you, so that we may be faithful ambassadors of Christ, sharing his love and working for the reconciliation of the world. In Christ's name, we pray this and the prayer he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
the fundamental truths of Christianity is it's not about us. It's for us, but it's not about us. It's about God, the love God has for the world. Let's live that way. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen.